0: Uh, Author Michael Horton, Uh, he's written a book called Ordinary. And you know, I I love titles like Ordinary, so I read it. It's really worth reading. Uh, And he says this, he says, Everyone is driven uh, in the present, the now, by an expectation of the future. He goes on, according to the spirit of our age, we came from nowhere and we're going nowhere But in between, we can make something of ourselves. Uh, Of course, uh, Christians are are driven by a different story. I I wonder, though, what expectation of the future drives your present day-to-day reality? Uh, As you go about your responsibilities, just, you know, the normal stuff of life, as you make work, career, decisions, uh, family decisions as as you relate to others, a life partner, uh, friends, family members, colleagues, as you choose how to use your time, where to put your money, how to spend your energy, what future reality do you have in mind? Is it the spirit of our age? We came from nowhere, we're going nowhere. Is that how you live? This is it. Or are you driven by a different story? Future reality, the perfect lawn. Present, water, fertilise, mow. And you might need some pesticide at the moment, those grubs after the rain. Future reality, passing those exams. Present, study, study, study. Future reality, a visitor coming to our Home, they're on their way, present, getting ready for visitor, tuck the mess, under the lounge. Future reality, the Lord is going to act with justice. Present, fear him. Serve him. Listen to him. Now that's where our application will land this afternoon, I reckon. As we sort of finish up looking at this book, the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi this afternoon, the subject, like last week, is judgment. And God's people of old, they're questioning whether justice will ever be done. Their observation of Everything that's going on around them leads them to grumble. You see this in verses 13 to 15, that dialogue, the back and forth. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Blessed. Certainly, evildoers will prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. God's people of old, they look around. Their heads aren't buried in the sand. They can see. Evildoers are prospering. Those crossing the boundary of what the Lord has says is right, and they do it blatantly, they get away with it. The conclusion What's the point in serving the Lord? It's futile, it's useless, it's fruitless, it's pointless. sounds a bit like the observation of the song leader in Psalm 73. We began the service, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, they're free from common human burdens and they're not plagued by human ills. It's not fair. What do we profit in serving the Lord? Uh, Philip Yancey, he wrote that book, "What's So Amazing about Grace?" Lots of years ago, it was popular in, I think, my dad's generation, maybe. Uh, he, 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 maybe maybe the generation after my dad, which is slightly above me, is that better? Uh, Anyway, Philip Yancey, he had a friend uh, who hosted a radio program where this bloke would give solid biblical advice each week. But that man's own faith was shaken, especially after an illness that almost killed him. The bloke said to Yancey, I've I've got no trouble questioning that God is good. My question is more, what good is he? I heard a while back this bloke said that Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, that his daughter was undergoing marriage problems. So the Grahams and the in-laws, they flew to Europe to meet with the the couple and, and pray for them. They ended up getting divorced anyway. If Billy Graham's prayers don't get answered, what's the use of my praying? I look at my life, the health problems, my own daughter's, Struggles, my marriage, I cry out to God for help and it's hard to know just how he answers. Really? What can we count on God for? Do you ever think like this? What's the point in following Jesus? Christians get depressed. They struggle with self-worth. Christians battle with physical sickness and old age. Christians get lonely. Christians have to live through the pain of relational difficulty. Following Jesus is no immunization against the stuff of life. Our own sin, each other's sin, living in a world that is subject to sin, a world that groans because of the effects of sin. We're not immune. And for God's people in Malachi, It wasn't just that, was it? It was that those disregarding the Lord seemed to be doing it easy and sitting sweet. They must have wondered what the law said, the Torah, that the blessed person was meant to meditate on, that God blesses those who obey him and curses those who don't. Because based on their experience, the opposite was happening. That word then in uh, chapter 3, verse 16 is pretty key here, don't you, you'd say? Introducing a, a, a contrast to what's just been said, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. In contrast to the arrogant and and the evildoers, there was a faithful remnant who genuinely served the Lord. And we're we're not told what they talked about together, but we can assume it's about the the issue of injustice and, and evildoers getting away with it. Because the rest of verse 16 says, you see this, and the Lord listened and heard. God is not unfeeling. He's not oblivious to our pain or uh, a sense of injustice. He cares about what happens to his people. He cares about righteousness and justice. He cares if the poor and the powerless are oppressed and exploited. It's just that circumstances sometimes make it look like that God doesn't care. And won't act. When God listens and hears, it's not just that he's sort of taking on some information. Uh, you See the second half of verse 16, your, your Bible's there. A, a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. Uh, When Jen tells me to remember something, Jen's my wife, by the way, and she's at home sick. Uh, When she tells me to remember something, so many things, uh, my parents' birthday, for example, they're born in October. And and mum, I think, is born first and then dad the next day. And Jen says, remember, it's your mum's birthday tomorrow. She's not just asking me to ponder the thoughts, but to take some kind of action Uh, At the very least, which is usually what I do, a phone call. Um, And sometimes uh, remember your parents' birthday. When God remembers us, it's not just a passing thought. When God remembers, he acts to save. You see this in the Bible, when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt... And they cried out to the Lord for help. We read in Exodus two twenty four that the Lord, he heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant. The Lord remembered his promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so he acted to save the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. God's scroll of remembrance. It would have the names of, of the faithful, So when God acted to to bring judgment against evil and evildoers, he would save them. In chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, there's this recognition that the faithful belong to the Lord. You see this? They will be my treasured possession. I will spare them. And when the day of the Lord comes... When God acts in judgment against the evildoers and arrogant, there will be a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. In other words, it does matter whether we serve the Lord or not. It's not futile to serve the Lord, the God of the Bible. Although at times our observation may lead us to struggle with that and and you know the the scroll of remembrance uh, in the new testament it becomes the book of life when jesus comes again some of you may know this from revelation chapter 20 where we have that picture of final judgment we read uh, chapter 20 verse 12 and 15 and i saw the the dead great and small standing before the throne it's judgment day And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. God acting with justice, judgment. And we tend not to talk about that too much, do we? Because the narrative that we live is this is all there is. We came from nowhere and we go nowhere and so we we try and make something of ourselves. Yes, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, but are you trying to make something of yourself? As though this is all there is? So tempting, isn't it? And we don't talk about justice very much, but Jesus talked about it more than anyone else. He said to his followers in Matthew 10, verse 28, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And in contrast to God's refining work, of judgment back in chapter 3, if you were here last week, like the the purifying of metal, here there is a finality to it, isn't there? Chapter 4, verse 1. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. For the wicked and for all those who don't trust in Jesus, the the day of the Lord is like a consuming furnace. While for the faithful, the contrast, the day of the Lord is like the warmth and light of the sun. For God's people, it'll it'll bring a kind of reckless joy and exuberance, and you picture that young calf being set free and and frolicking, well-fed and happy. And on the day of the Lord, instead of being exploited and downtrodden, marginalised and mistreated, God's faithful ones will be free of the wicked, who will simply be like ashes under their feet. Chapter 4, verse 3, then you will trample down the wicked. There'll be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do these things. This in verse 3, the trampling underfoot, it's not a picture of revenge, but of the vindication of God's people. A reversal of fortunes, a victory for justice over evil and its effects. You picked this up somewhere. Uh, there was a minister talking with, uh, with West African Bible students. The minister, Greg Fisher. Uh, and he was asked by a student, reverend, they're very respectful, the, um, the Africans, reverend, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it says that Christ will descend from heaven with a loud command. What will he say when he shouts? In the past, he wanted to leave the question unanswered to show that, well, we're not to go beyond what scripture says. Be careful about guessing. But his mind wandered to an encounter that he had earlier in the day with a refugee. This refugee was was then a high school principal who'd been kidnapped uh, previously by a two-man death squad. And after being held hostage for several hours, he managed to escape. He hid in the bush for two days before finding his family and escaping to a neighbouring country. Uh, but two of his kids uh, died. And this pastor, his mind also wandered uh, to the beggars that he passed by each day as he went to the office. He said, his words, every day I see how poverty destroys dignity, robs men of the best of what it means to be human and sometimes substitutes the worst of what it means to be an animal. I'm haunted by the vacant eyes of people who have lost all hope. There's students still there, and he's getting impatient, reverend, respectfully. You've not given me an answer. What'll he say? He replied, Enough. He will shout, Enough. When he returns, the student looked surprised. What do you mean enough? The pastor said enough suffering, enough starvation, enough terror, enough death, enough indignity, enough lives trapped in hopelessness, enough sickness, enough disease, enough time, enough. But before Jesus returns and shouts, enough, there's work to do. Our present driven by an expectation of the future. Chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses and the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. Just as when the Lord remembers, he acts to save. When God tells us, his people, to remember, he expects us to obey. God wants his people to stay faithful to him, even when crime seems to pay, and serving God doesn't. He wants his people to live in the light of the coming judgment, trusting God to deliver on his promises. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, God promises to send Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord and it will be his job to prepare the people for the Lord's arrival. Verse 6, he'll he'll turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. What what is that? A a picture of restored relationships. Relationships. What God desires is to restore and bring health to relationships, our relationship with him, our relationships with each other and with the rest of creation too. And this Elijah figure is the same as the Lord's messenger back in chapter 3 verse 1 we looked at last week, the one who was sent ahead of the coming king To prepare the way, get ready, the king's on his way. And we know from Matthew 11, it's clear that John the Baptist was the one who fulfilled this role. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And given that John the Baptist and Jesus have come, as we sort of reflect all these years later, we're now in the day of the Lord. It's quite a long day. With the first coming of Jesus, sin is judged and dealt with at the cross. It's a final judgment in the sense that those who trust in Jesus and his death on that cross have had their sins dealt with. Once for all, it's finished. I love singing that song. It is finished. He has done it. Let your weary heart rejoice. But for those who don't know Jesus, there's a window of time before Jesus returns that you might respond. In that sense, final judgment is delayed to a later time when Jesus will come again. We live between the first and the second coming of Jesus, between the cross and final judgment. It's a time of grace. Hand your life to him if you haven't already. Do it. Jesus will arrive at any moment. There'll be no text message, I'm half an hour away, get yourself ready. So are you ready? Yeah, sure, maybe you've been coming to church for a while, but are you ready for Jesus' return? Living our present with an expectation of the future. Are you ready now? Future reality, God's coming judgment, present, fear Him. Listen to Him. Serve Him. Remember His instruction. I was really encouraged this week. I send a weekly email. I talked about this last week. No one ever responds. My wife did last week. I mentioned it last week, this week. Thank you to the people who responded. And and I asked that question in in the weekly email. Is it futile to serve God? Does it ever feel that way? It can. But came the responses. Since, Since I've been born again, I've not thought that. He's the reason to be alive. I'm finding lately another response. Many people worried about dying. But if we trust in God, we should not be so worried if we're living for him. Another response, I often ponder if being so busy with our work lives, if we're in fact living for God, they're helpful reflections, aren't they? It is the way that you spend your time, your money and your energy, does that show that you're living in light of Jesus' sure return. In Acts 17, the Apostle Paul, he says this, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. And he's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. There's some stuff to reflect on, isn't there? Why don't we pray? Our Heavenly Father, uh, we're conscious that sometimes it feels as though living for you and serving you is futile. As we look sideways and feel jealous, as At times it seems as though that those who have no regard for you are prospering and living carefree. From the outside, Lord, it can seem as though they have it all together. But Lord, we do thank you that this life, while stained by sin, our own sinfulness a world subject to groaning that one day Jesus will return and make all things right. Lord, forgive us for our weariness in serving you and remind us of what is real. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people ready for Jesus' return that our time and money and our energy would be spent in the reality of the coming judgments. And Lord, we pray that you would have many, many turn and be saved, that they too might look forward to the coming of Jesus and not find it a day of destruction and disaster. Lord, help us to remember what is real. And we want to thank you for that historical evidence, the Jesus who lived and died and rose, the many witnesses, the gospel that spread, the gospel that continues to spread for your glory. Please continue your work, we pray, in Jesus' great name. Amen. Well, I might invite our